Please be seated for our Bible readings. The first reading is taken from Zechariah chapter 9, beginning at verse 9. It can be found on page 920 of the Old Testament section of the Church Bible. In it, the prophet Zechariah foretells of the coming of a victorious yet humble king and the restoration of the exiled people. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The gospel reading is taken from Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28, and can be found on page 88 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, we read of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, 
Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. we pray? Our loving Father, as we listen now to what you want to tell us, help us to receive it and for it to move us on, not just individually, but to move us on as a church uh, in our walk, in our witness and in our service for you. Uh, We pray now in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. I've got a little note here which says the future. You know, there's something I believe in most of us, if not in all of us, that would like to know what will happen tomorrow, what will happen next week, what will happen next month, next year, and where we will be, what we'll be doing, and uh, how we will be affected. But, you know, the future is that vast, uncharted sea uh, of the unknown. And I discover uh, on my travels and speaking to other people that, for many, it holds so many mixed emotions with fear and anxiety predominant in the hearts and minds of the great majority And, you know, some are so anxious about the future that they desperately seek to discover what lies ahead. And I've discovered some who even resort to consulting fortune tellers, tea leaves, or tarot cards. But, you know, God tells us, no way, no way do you go down that road. No way do you seek the future like that. See, tomorrow's story is known only to God, known only to our Father God, and of course known to those very special messengers, we call them prophets, don't we, whom God has appointed and to whom he has revealed a chapter or two of his story. It was some two and a half thousand years ago, somewhere around 480 B.C., that Zechariah wrote in verse 9 of chapter 9 that uh, Graham has just read to us. I'm actually quoting from the NIV. It's a bit more colourful. He said, Rejoice! Rejoice! Shout in triumph! Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he's humble riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Zechariah was writing to the Jews in Jerusalem who had returned from their captivity in Babylon. And he wanted to give them hope and encouragement by revealing to them what God had told him about his future deliverance through the Messiah. Well, they had to wait, didn't they? 
because that day when the king arrived was nearly 500 years later, some six, seven, eight, nine generations later. But Luke records for us that day when Jesus entered triumphantly into Jerusalem, the day when the words of the prophet came to pass in every detail. Came to pass in every detail. And what God had promised was fulfilled. We're going to focus now just for a few minutes on parts of that account. But may there be something there that's going to challenge us possibly, but encourage us and draw us ever closer to Jesus. I know it's difficult, terribly difficult for us to pick up the climate of feeling on that first Palm Sunday because we know all that followed in the eight ensuing days. But let's just appreciate how remarkable, how remarkable it was. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was. Jerusalem was in a form of lockdown. And politically, it had been far wiser for Jesus to slip quietly into the city to avoid all the hostility, particularly the hostility of the authorities. But Jesus, who had shunned publicity on so many occasions, and he told others to be quiet about him, enters the city and he goes public in a big, big way. Luke actually tells us in verse 28 that Jesus actually went ahead. He went ahead. He led the way, just longing to engage and enter into the action. He knew where he was going. He knew he was heading for the cross. But in many ways, he was intent on carrying out his father's plan. You'd have heard and remembered how arriving at the Mount of Olives, he dispatched two of his disciples to the neighboring village to collect a donkey. Have you ever thought about that? Wasn't that, it's, it seems quite idiotic, doesn't it? Quite ridiculous to send someone to a village to untie the first donkey they see and calmly tell the owner, well, Jesus needs it. But you know, the two disciples didn't hesitate, did they? They went and they found the donkey just as Jesus had said. And you know, when I consider that, I wonder how we react when God asks us to do something seemingly ridiculous. Oh, you know, when Jesus commands, it's not our role to dispute his request. Our response is to obey and to do whatever he asks of us. But the mission that those disciples had was accomplished without a hitch. Yes, the donkey was there. Yes, it was tied. Yes, the owner did say, why are you untying it? 
picture. You see, God knows in advance about everything. He knew exactly what was going to happen and what was going to be there and how it was going to come to pass. But you know, if he's aware in su- of such minute details uh, about a donkey, just appreciate how much more he knows about you and me. The psalmist knew this, didn't he? Look at Psalm 139. This is what the psalmist says. You know everything about me, Lord. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. God knew what I was going to say this morning. Amazing. Possibly even before I'd written any notes down. God knows so much in advance. He knows everything. And knowing in advance reflects on the fact that God has plans for us. Never forget what the Lord God said to the exiles as they waited their, uh, as they waited their return to Jerusalem. He said to them, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and give you hope and a future. Yes, and God had plans for that first Palm Sunday. And he had exercised, this is another point to note, he'd exercised his power over the heart and mind of the owner of that donkey to release the animal willingly so that Jesus would ride humbly into Jerusalem as prophesied. You'll notice there was no official retinue. There were no outriders, no state dignitaries, no city magistrates, no royal banquet. This was not the arrival of of a warrior king. This was the advent of a new kingdom ushered in by the Prince of Peace and ushered in in total humility What about the crowd that were there? By the way, what about you and me if we'd been there on that day? You know, some of that crowd were enthusiastically ecstatic, weren't they? They put their cloaks on the donkey as a form of saddle and many spread their cloaks on the road. I did a bit of research about that. You now discovered that to do what they did there and spreading their cloaks on the road, this was an extravagant act of worship and in many ways and joy, which just heralded their shouts of praise. Matthew and Mark give us more details about the loud hosannas which rang out to proclaim the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, you know, when I read that, I thought to myself, how loudly would we have clapped and cheered had we been there? But what about now? What about now? How do we express our praise and our joy and our worship of our Lord and Savior? Is it just a bit of routine? The hymn writer puts it, 
Are we ever lost in wonder, love and praise? I love it when I, when the, when, when the youngsters when we're praising, waving their fags and rejoicing. Oh, David danced before the Lord in praise and worship. Some raised their hands in excitement. What do the crowds do? What do the footballers do when they're rejoicing? Wow. However, Let's take note that there were some in the crowd who did actually respond negatively. You see, the Pharisees wanted Jesus' followers to be silenced. But Jesus wanted and expected their praise. In verse 40, Jesus said, I tell you, if these folk are silent, the the stones will shout out. You know, whether men and women praise Christ or not, Christ will be, Christ shall be, Christ must be praised. Withhold your praises and the stones will immediately make themselves heard. And five days later, this was literally fulfilled, wasn't it? As men jeered at Jesus on the cross and the the disciples became increasingly silent, the earth shook and the stones split proclaiming their alleluias. Oh, but quite clearly, the people of Jerusalem were divided. Many thrilled at having Jesus there with them as they began their Passover festivities. But there were others, yes, who continued to reject him. Still true? Still true in 2022, isn't it? There's some who want to be here worshipping the Lord. Others, no way, nothing to do with that. But uh, let's also take note that among those who welcomed Jesus with apparently genuine worship, there were many who joined the hostile crowd five days later to jeer and to shout, crucify him. And they watched him go to torture and death. You see, it may not be hard or difficult to follow Jesus when the majority are rooting for him. But let's never weaken when we find ourselves in the midst of anti-Christian or anti-church folk. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. We follow Jesus however difficult or hard the times might be. And what do we pray on a Sunday? We've been praying it Sunday by Sunday. And we proclaim Christ, proclaiming him in all that we do and say and the way we live our lives. And we don't give up on that at any stage. Let me close with what I see as a great challenge as I read that Palm Sunday account. Jesus said, tell the owner of the donkey, the Lord needs it. Just tell the owner of the donkey, the Lord needs it. And as we know, that donkey was actually untied and set free for the Messiah to use. But I do wonder what there is in my life, in your life, that the Lord needs 
and would like to use. I wonder what we're holding on to and won't let go of. I can speak a little bit from experience there of the time when I was holding on to something that I didn't want to let go of, that I jolly well know the Lord wanted to use. He got his own way in the end, and I let go. But the amazing thing is that God can manage perfectly well without whatever it is. But as long as we hang on to it, we miss out on the blessing. In fact, God longs for us to release all of ourselves and give him everything. Our hopes, our disappointments, our successes, our failures, everything. Lock, stock and barrel, as it were. But are there bits in our life that we really need to untie? Bits that we may well be holding back on, holding and holding us back from a richer and fuller walk with Jesus. You know, it's so easy, isn't it, to cling on to what we've always had. So easy to hold on to the status quo and to resent any form of change. I was reading this last week about John Donne and he went through that period of not wanting to change, not wanting to uh, release things. But he had that great prayer, may my desire to be captivated by God's love overcome my rebellious nature that refuses to change. I wonder how many of us need to pray that. May my desire to be captivated by God's love overcome my rebellious nature that refuses to change. I was going to stop there. I think I just said a moment as I close. But as I was getting ready uh, for, for today, I just found myself saying, yes, the, 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 I've got to add a P.S., as it were, particularly with the situation in Ukraine in mind, the, the, the more we read about it, it's not getting any better, is it? I wonder how much many of you took note of verse 10 in Zechariah's prophecy. I'm reading from the NIV. This is what Zechariah said in verse 10. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea. Wonder how often the Christians in Ukraine must read that verse and that prophecy and just long for that day. Because that day will be one day in the future. This looks forward to the second advent when Christ will come again in power and great glory. But in the meantime, you know, we and the Ukrainians, we live 
between verses 9 and 10 of Zechariah's prophecy. Verse 9, Palm Sunday. Verse 10, the second coming. And we live in this present age between the two, this age of grace. And it's in this age of grace that we are to trust and believe and rest in the promises of God and the love of Jesus from which we can never be separated. And in the meantime, oh, may God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand, guard the hearts and minds of the Ukrainians and us and ours in Jesus Christ, guarding us all in fortress safety. That day will come. Let's rest in the picture of that glory and that wonder of when Jesus comes again and his realm will stretch from sea to sea and all weapons, all war will cease. Shall we pray? Oh, Father God, we offer you our praise and for who you are and our gratitude for all that you've done in our lives and in the life of your church here. Make clear to each one of us those things or those parts of our lives that you're longing to use and may we have the will to release them in service to you. And Father, grant grace and peace to all whose lives are troubled folk who are living in fear may the truth of coming glory sustain them in Jesus' name Amen